Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you would, and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, what a great weekend this has been for me. I just want to share this personally. Uh, This weekend, uh, first of all, I was just proud to get out. How about you? Kind of tired of the snow and tired of being iced in and while I love being with my family, there are, time when, there are times when God wants us to be with other people. You know what I'm talking about? So uh, grateful that we could get out and we could be around this place. But also this weekend, as God moved in my heart, as I was able to meet with our deacons and deacon leadership, to be able to just kind of focus together ourselves, renew ourselves as the leadership of this church, to see what God would have for us and to just move forward as the Lord would lead us. And it was a renewing time for me and a a great blessing and a a moment for me to, I guess, experience revival and recommit myself as the pastor of this church to the objectives that God has for us. And uh, so I am so grateful for my deacon brothers and their wives and for what they mean to this church and how they lead and how they encourage me. So I am so grateful for that. And I am grateful that I can come this morning and share a message that I know is so applicable to us. I mean, this is a message that is about a story that we have heard about for many, many years. Probably one of the most loved stories in all of the Scripture, especially the Old Testament. As I was coming up, I would just think about this great story of David and Goliath. I would hear about it in Sunday school. I would try to envision it. I mean, as a young boy... Just thinking about how this one could overcome such a great foe. It was an inspiring story. And even to this day, the analogy is often used of this Goliath, of this giant, of this individual or this team or whatever it is that you have to face. And it seems to be so overwhelming that there's no way. And yet, you know that Goliaths do fall. Giants fall. And that is encouraging to us. But it is more than just a mythical story. It's a true story that is told to teach us lessons, not about how great we can be. Because as I read through this today, I hope that you understand this is not just David's greatness that we're celebrating here. This is not that David was so skilled and talented and he was so precise in his launch of that rock that day. It wasn't that David was such a warrior that we celebrate this passage and celebrate this story. We celebrate this story because we are reminded that God takes the weak and he demonstrates his glory by bringing victory in their lives. That God is the one that is the hero of this story. But I want you to hear it again. I know you've heard it so many times through the years. But hear it again fresh and new this morning. And allow it to challenge you. And we're going to pick up this morning in verse 31. Because there are so many verses that we could read. And, uh, but for time's sake, we're going to look at verse 31. I'm going to summarize some of the context. And then we're going to see how this applies even to our lives today. Verse 31. And when the words which David spoke were heard... They reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. And then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So stop there for a moment, and let me set the context. The first 
30 or so verses and kind of what has happened and where we are to this point. You'll note as you begin this chapter that the Philistines, once again, the arch enemy of Israel, they have decided that they will invade and that they will come against the people of Israel. Saul and his army, they have decided to counter the Philistine movement and they have set up this camp on a, on a mountain just across the valley from the Philistines. So you can kind of get this idea, okay? The Philistines are on one mountain. The Israelites are on another mountain. And there's this great valley in between. This great valley, it, it's probably like a mile wide, okay? Even as it, it, it's more like a canyon than it is a ravine. So there's a, there's a lot of distance that is there. So here you have the Israelites and there you have the Philistines. You can see this standoff. And every day, the Philistines will send this guy out. His name is Goliath. And every day, he'll walk down and he'll cross the valley and he'll shout these insults to the people of Israel. And he'll shout challenges to them. And he proposes. He proposes something that was well known in the Middle Eastern time of a challenge, a representative battle, if you will. That if you'll pick somebody that'll come down and fight me, if they defeat me, we will serve you. The Philistines will serve you, the Israelites. But if you pick the champion and your champion wins, then we will serve you. We just need you to select somebody to come down. And whoever wins, the other side will serve the winner. That's what we'll do. So Goliath comes down every day. He does this for like 40 days, okay? 40 days, he shouts insults at the people of Israel and shouts insult at their God. 40 days, he does this. David, what's he doing? Do you remember what he's doing? We were here last week, remember? He, I'm going to have to preach that sermon again because you didn't listen to me. He was keeping the sheep. He had been anointed the king, but remember he went back to the field. So he was keeping the sheep. And at times he would be called to the court of, of Saul and he would play his, his harp, his music for Saul to soothe him. But at this point, he's back with the sheep again. If you read the 1 Samuel 17, you'll see he's back with the sheep, just taking care of the sheep, doing what he's supposed to do. And daddy calls. And daddy says, David, I want you to go and check on your brothers. Jesse had three brothers that were with the army. They're with the Israelites. He says, I want you to go check on them. I want you to see how they're doing. I want you to take them some grain and some bread. When you get over there, you see their captain. Also give him some cheese. I'll send some cheese with you so that he can have a treat as well. Go over there and check on those guys. And you come back and you tell me what they're doing. So David leaves out, okay? He, oh, and the scripture says, when he finds somebody to take care of the sheep, because he's still concerned about the sheep. He gets somebody to take care of them. He heads out a 15-mile journey to where the military, the army of the Israelites were camped. So 15 miles, he walks. He takes these provisions for his brothers. It's just like any other day, okay? I mean, he does not know that there is a battle on the horizon. Well, he doesn't know that he's going to be involved in the battle on the horizon. Let me stop there for a moment. How many times does God just telegraph to you that there's a battle about to come? 
I mean, maybe, maybe you have an inclination. Maybe you kind of know that you might be involved. But how many times does something just come up and you, you, didn't, even, you didn't even recognize that you were going to be involved in this? There's David. Has no inclination he's about to fight a giant. Has no idea he's about to meet a giant. He just going to the front lines to take provision to his brothers to report back to his dad. And here he's going. I, I can almost imagine young David as he goes across that terrain, as he crosses the hill, he crosses the hills, and he comes to this magnificent site of the Israelite army camped out. The scripture says that when he gets there, the Israelite army is making a move. They're actually moving toward the Philistines in some way. There's a battle cry that has gone out that morning, and he's watching them. Could you, I mean, again, you're a young man or you're a young lady, you're crossing those hills, and all of a sudden you see this sight. Can you, can you kind of imagine this with me? And the, peop and the military of Israel, they seem to be ready for combat until Goliath comes again. Scripture says Goliath comes down and he shouts his insults. He has that intimidating presence. And what do the people of Israel, what does the army do? It retreats. It flees. Go back and look at the passage. It says they just run in every direction. But David, he kind of just, he keeps walking out. He wants to see what all of this is about. And he's hearing these insults. He's hearing this intimidation from this guy. This guy's talking about the people of Israel. He's talking about God. And David just cannot stand for this. You, you know, it's kind of like I was telling our deacons this week, you know. There are two things you don't talk about. You don't talk about my wife. And you don't talk about my church. You know, as a pastor, I mean, you don't talk about my wife. You don't talk about my church. Here's David. This guy's talking about my people. This guy's talking about Israel. He is hurling all these insults upon the covenant people of God. And thus, upon God himself. And David says, what are you going to do about this? David said, what's going to happen to the person that beats this guy? And what, what's going to happen when we face him. What should we do? And then, of course, we know that David himself volunteers. Verse 31 says that the people are hearing what David had to say, and they go back to Saul and they tell him, hey, we've got this young guy, and he says he'll go out there and he'll fight Goliath. So let me give you this, okay? First of all, there was a battle he had to fight. There was a battle that David had to fight. This giant had to be confronted, and David knew that. And I will say to you that there are many days in our lives that we will face the proverbial giant, okay? There are days when the giant will walk right into our area, and he will challenge us. And the only way to deal with such a giant is to bring the fight to him. And that's what the scripture says. He had to fight this giant. He knew somebody had to stop what was going on. 
But this is what I've noted about the scriptures I've studied. Is this is a battle that he should not have had to fight. Right? David shouldn't have had to fight Goliath. He shouldn't have had to. Now, we know God, some of you are looking at me and saying, well, that was God's plan. This is the way David. Yes, I know. And you are very spiritual people. I'm proud of you. Okay? But I'm talking about in this military setting, David was not the person that should have fought Goliath. This was not his battle. Who should have been fighting Goliath? No doubt King Saul. First of all, he was the king. He was the leader. When nobody else steps up, the leader should step up. When nobody else is volunteering, the leader should have said, you know what, I will go and defend the honor of our nation and the honor of our God. But not just that. Who's the most physically impressive individual in the nation of Israel? Saul. Remember, he's head and shoulders taller than anybody else. So if you want to go on size, if you want to pit someone against Goliath, the, your greatest champion, it'd have to be Saul. Saul didn't do it. Saul didn't go out. Nobody else did. You would think there would be somebody else in the military that would say, hey, I'll step up and I'll face this guy. Nobody. David fights the battle. He knows it must be fought. And he fights a battle that he should have never had to fight. There should have been others who would step up. Now that speaks to me so, so clearly today. And it speaks to me so significantly. Why? Because I'm going to tell you, you and I will fight battles in this world that we should have never had to fight. We didn't choose the battle. We didn't ask for the giant to walk up and to bring insult. But we had to face the giant that was in our lives. And wow, how we face giants. You know, I'm sometimes overwhelmed in the church's life to, to see how the giant will still come against the people of God. In so many different ways. And not just, not just the evil, but just living in a fallen world, how giants walk around all the time. Right? When your husband comes in and says, I'm checking out. You didn't ask for that. You didn't see that necessarily coming. And he says, hey, I... I got to do something else. I'm walking out. What a giant. What a giant. Hey, when you're sitting in the doctor's office and they mention that word that begins with C, cancer, wow. You didn't want to tangle with that giant, did you? That wasn't one that you had gone out looking for, picking that battle. How about those young girls at school that bully you and intimidate you? You didn't think you'd done anything to those people. 
And yet, there they are, talking and doing things. And mm. How about that college class that you're sitting in, and they ridicule everything about your faith? They mock you for being a Christian or a Christ follower. They tell you how you've abandoned reason and logic. You didn't see that coming. And you didn't ask necessarily for that giant. Or how about the moment when some of us who had planned for retirement, we thought we had everything together, we find out that a certain investor or somebody else like that has embezzled all of the cash and we have nothing really left in that what we thought to be a nest egg. And folks, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning of what we see running around us, the giants that are coming around us. And sometimes we don't say, hey, we signed up for this battle. Hey, grandparents who have the great privilege, and it is a great privilege and honor, but yet a challenge as well when you have to raise your grandkids. That wasn't part of the package when you signed on. But it may be a giant in your life. I say all these things to tell you that this is so applicable to us. A giant doesn't necessarily have to be this nine foot, nine inch guy walking into our lives. It could be, it could come through so many different avenues and through so many different ways. It is a battle we have to fight even when we do not pick the battle. The battle is there. The giants are there in our lives and we have to respond with courage. Notice David. David says, hey, somebody's got to do something about this. We cannot leave this the way it is. We have got to face this giant. They bring him to Saul. And the battle that he had to fight, he knew that was there, was then met with the bitterness he had to face. Now, he had to meet the bitterness of Goliath. There's no doubt. I mean, Goliath was spewing all types of evil. He was spewing all types of evil toward the people of God and toward God himself. So there was bitterness coming from the other side. Well, we expect that, don't we? You should. If you live for Christ, you better get ready for bitterness to come from the enemy. Those things are going to happen. But how about when it comes from your family and those who should support you? Because I didn't mention this, but... In the verses just previous, like in verse 28 or so, David is gone. He's found his brothers. He looks at Eliab. Remember the firstborn of Jesse? He looks at him and he says, hey, what's going on again? What's happening here? What are we, what is Saul doing about this? What does he promise to people? Tell me again. And Eliab said, you little dude. You've just come up here and you're trying to just insert yourself into this situation. You just want to see things. You just want to, you know, can you hear the brotherly love? Now, I think there's probably a little envy there with Eliab. Because it was Eliab that was standing there during this 
anointing ceremony, he was standing there and Samuel said, ah, he's got to be the one. And Eliab must have thought, ah, yeah, yeah, next king. Until God spoke. God said, hey, he's not the one. Because I don't judge like that. I don't look just at man's outward appearance. I look at their inward quality. So, Eliab probably is still just a little bit bitter. I don't know how long the, uh, the events of like chapter 16 and 17, how long of a span there, were, there was between those two chapters. But all I know is Eliab probably is still smarting. He just, he's looking at David, he's scowling. Man, it's one thing to know the enemy's against you. It's another thing to think that your family could be against you. When you get the courage to do something, when you say, hey, I feel like I need to fight this battle, and then they come and say, oh, no, you, you can't do that. No. You, you can't. And to compound the problem, he goes to Saul. And, and, and look at this. You've got to love the encouraging Saul. Okay? Verse 33, uh, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him. Ha, no, you can't, you, you can't do that. Because you see, you're a youth. And this guy named Goliath, well, he's been a warrior since he was a youth. Like he's been fighting these battles a long time. He is, he is experienced in war and battle. You are not. You can't do it. So the giant's there. You know you got to fight the battle. And then all this bitterness around you. All this disappointment. All this discouragement. Hey, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't fight such a battle in your life. But David knew otherwise. And he knew that there was a bed he had to fulfill. Look, look at this as we read down through it. Okay? Verse 34, and David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put bronze helmet on his head and also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. So let, let's just kind of look at this scene for a moment, okay? David's getting ready to go fight Goliath. Do you know what? Do you know what the bets must have been? Do you know what the line in Vegas would be? I'm not trying to offend any of you. I'm just saying you and all live in the reality. Can you imagine? This week, I mean, this afternoon, we have an AFC championship, NFC championship, right, game? Isn't that right? Some of you say, I don't know. I don't watch that. Stuff. Maybe. The Saints didn't make it, did they? Oh, my gosh. 
Do we still have that video? I've seen it so many times this week. I've been so discouraged. It's like a giant walked in my life. Maybe a Viking. I don't know. They have all these lines of like, hey, this one's probably going to win. This one's probably not going to win. Can you imagine this? I mean, David is going around against Goliath. Because I didn't go into great detail about Goliath and his size. But earlier in the chapter, it did. Earlier in the chapter, it said that Goliath was about 9 foot 9 inches. So about like this tall. All right? I would probably have to look up to him. Nine foot nine inches, Goliath. He was this huge guy. And we are given, I mean, a detailed description of his armor. He has this coat of mail, this like metal mesh clothing on. And he, he's got like a spear. And he's got a javelin. He's got a sword. I mean, if, if you were to kind of weigh out his just his armor, okay? It would be somewhere, depending on the way you do this, but somewhere between like 125 all the way up to maybe even 200 pounds of armor on this guy. Nine foot nine's got like 150 pounds of armor on. He's got all these different weapons. And if that's not enough, he's got a guy that walks in front of him that's got a shield to protect him, his body. And then you got David. The odds are not good. The odds would never be in David's favor, it would seem like. But Saul says, hey, and you can't, you can't miss the humor of Scripture here, can you? Because Saul says, well, you know what? We need to at least put some armor on you, so I'll give you mine. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Remember Saul's head and shoulders taller than everybody else? David comes in. They put the helmet on. They put the coat of mail. They put the armor on him. And it's just like, you, you, you can imagine, right? I mean, the pants, the shirt. It's not fitting. And David says, you know what? I don't, I don't think I need that stuff. That, that stuff, I've not tested it out. I've not really, you know, I don't think I need that stuff. All bets were against David. And you know what? There are going to be times in your life where the giant walks in. And it's going to be like all bets are on the giant. I mean, the world would look at you and say, the, the giant's got them. Goliath is going to overtake them in a moment. I mean, these people... These people had been intimidated by this guy for 40 days. And they had allowed him to take some of their own territory. I don't know if you caught this, but earlier in the chapter, it says that Goliath was coming up the mountain. So in other words, not only was he crossing the valley, but he had gotten so brave that he was actually approaching the army of Israel. Chuck Swindoll said, I think very well, that when we don't confront the giant, if we're not careful, we allow him to take our territory and to take our camp and to come right in and try to steal our identity and joy. The bet was on Goliath 
Oh, everybody else thought so. But God's bet was on David. Now, I know some of you may not like that language, but I'm just going to tell you, God knew that he and his favor was on David's side. Everybody else may think Goliath is going to win this thing, but God knew better. God would make another bet. Wasn't much of a bet when you're assured like God. But he knew that David would come out the winner. And David went to fulfill that type of bet because of this. Because of this. David had a belief he had to follow. A trust, a confidence. Right? I mean, that's what you see. Trust and confidence. That God was going to be with him. Look in verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistines looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. I mean, what kind of victory is this going to be? I'm not going to get any glory from this by beating a child like this, defeating him in battle. I'm not going to get any glory. You can see how Goliath just scoffed at this whole encounter. He couldn't believe it. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He said, Have you come like to discipline me like some dog with a stick? And the Philistine said to David, you come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Man, giants, they speak like that to us sometimes, don't they? They try to intimidate us and manipulate us. And they say, you just come on. You come into this battle and you see what will happen. And David said to the Philistine, ah, you got to like this. You got to love it. You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. That's a spunky little guy. But his faith is not in himself. He's not saying, I can defeat the giant. He's not saying that. He's saying that the God that I serve is powerful enough to defeat you and your army. That's what he says. Now, I don't want to gloss over the verses I read a moment ago because it gives us a little insight into David. You see, David had so much faith that he could, that God would overcome Goliath because God had already shown himself strong in his life. Remember? David said, oh, no, no, no. Do you know that when I was out keeping sheep, you had these predators that would come like a lion, a bear, and, and they would come and they would try to take my sheep and I love my little sheep and I'm going to protect my sheep. And God gave me strength to destroy those enemies. 
And if God has given me strength to do that, God will give me the strength now to defeat the enemy that's in front of me. And I want to remind you of God's faithfulness to you in the past. And let me tell you that God has brought you through a lot of stuff. He's brought me through a lot of stuff. And if the God who's brought us through all that stuff in the past is still the God on the throne, and I believe he is, then he is the God that will give us all the strength we need to defeat the giants in front of us. If you need some encouragement, you go back and you just take a little notebook, you begin writing down, this is what God has already done for me. You just enumerate it, you list it out, because when you see that, you're reminded that your God has the power to work in your life. And to defeat these giants. See, David knew that God had worked in his life before. And he knew that he would work in his life once again. This is not a story about the hero David. You hear it from David's lips. It is a story about the hero, God himself. The battle is the Lord's. He's the one that's going to... Defeat this giant. And the scripture says, So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David. David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of his sheath and killed him. Cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. What a great victory. David takes out this little stone, maybe the size of a tennis ball. He slings it. And it wasn't the perfect aim of David that brought the giant down. It was the perfect aim of God that fell the giant on the field of battle. Our God still has the power to slay and kill giants. You don't doubt it for a moment. The power of our God has not waned. The power of our God is still absolute. He can work in your life with whatever giant that you're facing to bring that giant down. But you have to trust and have faith and believe that He has that strength and that power. And what's awesome about this is that faith is catching, is contagious. Verse 52 said, The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates and beyond and beyond and beyond. Because when you face your giant, when you face the giant that's before you, and others see that giant fallen, they are encouraged to face the enemy head on. The faith and the trust in the power of our Lord. Isn't it amazing how Jesus himself showed us this? There was a battle that he faced over sin, 
hell, death, and the grave. And you know what? He didn't create that sin. We did. Through our rebellion. It was a battle we should have fought, but to be honest, we didn't have the ability. And God knew that. So he sent Jesus to fight a battle on our behalf. He faced bitterness. Oh, yeah, he did. Faced discouragement, disappointment. He faced all those things. And I believe all the forces of the world were probably betting against him. Remember, this is, a, this is one that was born a baby in Bethlehem. How intimidating could a baby be? Especially when Satan himself is enlisting the help of kings like Herod and others who could destroy him easily. Oh, the world probably was betting against him in so many ways. But there was a belief he had to follow. That God had given him the course and the mission to save the world. To die on the cross. And yes, Jesus believed that he would be resurrected in the great power of heaven itself. You see, Jesus, he fought the battle for us. And he won, not through the strength of human flesh, but through the power of the Lord God. And today we celebrate that. And folks, if a man, a God-man, can overcome death, hell, and the grave, and if he can save us from our sins, if he can work in our lives, he can still give us the power to slay the giants, to bring them down in his name for his glory. Because this is what's cool. God loves using the weak. He loves using human flesh to demonstrate his good and his glory overall. Today, do you have a giant you're facing right now? You need some help? You need some strength? You turn to Him. Would you give yourself to Him? Trust Him? Let's pray together. Father, no doubt, as we come into this place, we all have giants. There are so many whether they're right in front of us now or whether they're just over the horizon, they're no doubt there ready to challenge us. And God, we just come to you and we just confess we can't do this on our own. Can't win the victory by ourselves. Can't be genius enough to come up with some tactic to defeat these things that have come. But God, we do believe. We trust in you today. And we believe that your power will give us the strength that we need. And that you will provide the victory in your own time and in your own way. God, we commit ourselves and we believe in you. We trust in you today. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here that just need to stop and pray. They need to do it maybe where they are. Some of them may need to come to the altar. Lord, for us as leadership, Lord, we've had this weekend together where we've recommitted and renewed, but maybe it's just a moment for us as a leadership to just stop before you 
knowing that giants will come against us as a church here at Temple. And Lord, that we will, at this moment, in this place, just depend upon you and trust in you that you will defeat those things that will come against us. Because again, Lord, we know your power. And we know that ultimately, the gates of hell will never prevail against your church. God, speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, and help us to respond and rededicate, recommit ourselves to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.